Hey up and welcome to the Temple of Blair. This is a conversation with Tad Leger from the band Toxic. As one of the first through the door at the Roadrunner's US office in the late 80s, Toxic had two records with Roadrunner Records. First being World Circus in 1987, and the second being Think This in 1989. We take a whistle-stop tour of the band's tenure with Roadrunner Records, which ended in 1992 with the band's first split. These days, Tad keeps himself busy with art and graphic design in the horror film industry. You can check this out at ToxicTad.com. I'll leave a link in the description. He's got all sorts on there, from package design to posters to clothes, you name it. Thanks again to Tad, and let's jump into it. One, two, fuck shit up. Especially at the time when Toxic was about, because that was when something latched and they sort of realized, ah, thrash and death, this is uh, this is a, a thing, a commercially viable thing. Um, so I, I try and unpick that and try and understand it a little bit more so that my generation of metalists can learn how to administrate metal. Yeah, you know, it's like for people my age, it's always interesting because like for me, it's like <laughs> it's like a linear point, you know, like I started with like you know, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Scorpions, then I had, you know, bands like, you know, Motorhead, and then, like, Metal Hit, and, you know, you kind of, like, it all is, but, like, for people like you, who, like, sort of, like, what's, like, to go from, like, your A point to where you are now, mm. it's got to be a lot different, because you've got access to different information, and, you know, just, it's a different timeline, so it's interesting, you know, for, like, old fuckers like me, <laughs> like, you're, like, how did you get to here and there, and, yeah, yeah. This is the thing because my my entry point was sort of simply it was it was like Iron Maiden was my big one, and then I took a jump to Trivium. I was like very much in yeah. I was very much uh, in the world of like new wave, British heavy metal, and the conventional sort of metal route. And then it was like just right now I'm into metalcore and screams and all this sort of stuff. And I noticed okay. the, the little candy bar logo in the corner, and I realized there's a a thing going on. There's like a, a and obviously. It's a word I didn't learn when I was fifteen, which was brand, you know. And it was it was like there was a there was something about it, and it was like by design in a way. So I, that's that's where the knowledge gap is for me. But yeah, boring shit. Okay. But- <laughs> All right. Well, I won't I won't hold trivium love against you, but uh, <laughs> I'll pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> that's cool. I want to open up with just like pluggables. And I remember um, Sweet to Ryan. He said you were graphic designing and. It, you're in the horror film uh, in the yeah. horror space. Can you tell me a little okay. bit about that? Because that's so compelling to me. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a massive, like, horror fan forever. Like, you know, back in the 80s, you had all these great mom and pop video stores and you had access to, to movies like, you know, you'd never even heard of. Mm. So for me, like, I rented this uh, movie. It was called, you know, Gates of Hell here by Lucio Fulci, City mm. of Living Dead in Europe. And, like... It just blew my mind. I was like, I had no idea, like, you could make a movie that way that, like, didn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. But, like, atmosphere-wise, it was like, you know, it was like a new drug. It was, you know, something just, like, so high-octane and just, like, it's like, fuck you. There's no narrative here. This shit does It's only happening for the gore and to yeah. upset you, you know? And I just thought that was, like, the greatest thing ever. And, you know, I became more and more like I really, you know, as a kid, I always would judge by like movie poster arts. I'd be like, okay, that looks dope. You know, this must be a shit movie. That poster sucks. So, you know, that was really my goal is was to get into doing that. And I was lucky enough to uh, first I started out in like music. I worked for a company called Red Distribution. 
who actually like initially put out like a lot of early metal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they put out uh, these, well, they were kind of called relativity. So they put out like some records from like corrosion conformity. And so I worked there for a while and then, you know, then nine 11 happened and like so much stuff in New York, just like shut down. They let go like, like three quarters of the people there. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then I moved over more to, um, doing stuff with a company called uh, Grindhouse Releasing. Okay. Which is owned by a, a major Hollywood editor, Academy Award winner, Bob Murawski. He uh, he got an Academy Award for The Hurt Locker. Okay, yep, yep. And so he works with like Sam Raimi. He's done like all the Spider-Man movies, but People awesome. Dead movies. But he's a massive horror fan. Mm. So uh, I ended up connecting with him actually through my love of this band called uh, Blood Farmers. I don't know if you've no, ever I've heard, not of heard of Blood Farmers. No. Like, 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 if you're familiar with, like, the Doom scene now, like, every Doom band is about, like, 70s horror. Like, oh, look, you know, we love the Blind Dead, this and that. But, like, Blood Farmers were doing this in, like, the early 90s. They were, like, way ahead of that curve. And someone released their demos, and so I just, I wrote to the email saying, dude, I love the stuff. I'm all about 70s horror and Doom. This is great. And the guy wrote me back, and it uh, turned out their guitar player, Dave, worked for a grindhouse and he saw some of the stuff I did like, Hey man, we need a new design guy. So that got me into doing like packaging and, uh, you know, for the Blu-rays and also some actual like movie posters, mm-hmm. which was like the greatest thrill ever to like go downtown in New York city and see like my poster for cannibal Holocaust, like up in awesome. lights, just, you know, that was the dopest thing ever. <laughs> no, that's awesome, dude. I'm, I'm trying to, I used to watch a lot of 80s horror as a kid because he used to play it on Channel 4 on Thursdays and Friday nights after 10 o'clock and I'd stay up as a kid. And I'm trying to get back into it because I love the aesthetic. I love that kind of, um, how do you call it? It's like 80s suburbia, what I'd call municipal waste sort of settings now. Just waste <laughs> of teenagers. Um, heavy metal parking lot. It's all sort of gravitates around that kind of area for me. Um, but one thing I did recently is I, I went through all the Halloween films it's end to end, all of them, and I loved it. There's something about the Rob watching, Zombie ones. I actually avoided the, the Rob Zombie ones. Good, good move. <laughs> you know, like I used to run into Rob, like when I lived in New York City, like a lot of like collectors conventions. Super cool guy, like totally knows what time it is. You know, when it comes to horror, mm. but man, his movies, holy shit, just mm. the worst, the worst, yeah. so bad. I've not, I've not seen. I think I saw the first one once or twice. And I know the backstory was the one the studio wanted him to do it, otherwise they wouldn't let him do what must have been no the I think Devil's Rejects was already a thing, wasn't it? Whatever project he wanted to do after Halloween, they wouldn't let him do it until he did Halloween. So I was like, right, whatever, okay, cool. But there's something special about watching Donald Pleasance get dragged out over time and every few years to run around a set of Haddonfield saying he can't be stopped. I love it. <laughs> that guy knows how to choose some scenery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's interesting like the horror stuff because I compare Roadrunner at least Case Wessels' strategy at the time I call it the Blumhouse model which is because combat as you'll know from Sony Red like relativity and combat they would their budgets for, and advances for artists would range from say you're 5 up to 30, 40 um, there'd be a scalable investment but with Roadrunner it is very much low investment high volume see what sticks yeah, and that to me is like yeah, it's the Blumhouse model. Obviously, Kiss Wessels came first, but yeah, there's there's some um, some correlation there, I think, which uh, which I think is what he adapted. But 
I, I think it's it's cool as fuck what you do. Anyway, I, I, I dig it. <laughs> it's in it's oh, in, in my world. Um, but you also still play music, don't you? You're in is it what, Lusitola? Is that the name of the? Yeah, yeah. That's the current project I had about mm. like 2002 or something. Mm. You know, I had I, over a couple of bands I was in. So like right after Toxic, I played in this thrash band called Black and Sky. Mm-hmm. We're sort of like old school thrash, like Venom, like really early, like Metallica. And um, I ended up writing a lot of riffs for those songs. I was still playing drums there, mm-hmm. but I wrote a lot of the material. And then I got to where I was like, well, I'm going to take a shot and see if I can actually like cut it, you know, as a guitar player. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I've done in the first Lucid Total recording I actually did with Josh from Toxic. He, oh, wow. uh, he did the vocals, he did a few guitar solos, and he produced. Mm-hmm. So, like, he really helped me out, you know, because I like I had never done that, you know, from a guitar point of view. Yeah. And uh, and that's really going well. And now I'm doing it with uh, my friend uh, Ian on drums, and he's also doing, like, the bass. And now we're adding, like, some really cool, like, goblin-style keyboards. You know, I'm trying to marry sort of, like, you know, hard metal and like kind of like heart like soundtracks mm-hmm. in sort of doom and metal you know so right. trying like you know sort of like a soundscape you know kind of like black sabbath did you listen to sabbath and like they're not so much riffs they're like you know it's almost like a panorama that you can see you know when it's you listen set to piece. a song like black sabbath it's like so evocative yeah yeah and that's you know that's kind of what i'm trying to to do now it's interesting i think the terminologies really get screwed up these days i think um Doom metal and stoner metal tend to get lumped together these days. And that's where I hear a lot of like, when, when you talk about the, the 70s horror aesthetic, there's usually a sample, then it kicks into the riff, and then maybe yeah. it ends with a sample or something like that. But my idea of stoner metal is like New Orleans sludge. It all originates from there. That's my idea of stoner metal. So I could feasibly get really stoned to. But right. I think now like the, the wording is sort of like, been bastardized over like a number of years. It's same with like metalcore. Like Trivium used to be known as metalcore. I know, and you know what I mean. Like that's a box they got put in. But now metalcore is sort of tech metal. Weird. It's like guitar driven, like virtuosity. So it's 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 hard to put a pin on what style things are these days. It is because I mean you know like like especially like late eighties you started to have like so much blending like a band like Faith No More came out, you know, and they're adding like kind of like more poppy keyboards with metal. Mm. And at that point, and, you know, we've got to the point, like how much more can you hybrid shit, you know, like, and, you know, some of it is terrible, but some of it's really cool. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Like, you know, like I see a lot, you know, I'll watch reviews on newer doom stuff and like, I don't really consider it doom to me. Like yeah. doom is more like rock, you know, and so mm. much new stuff, like it sounds like metal. And like that doesn't make it bad, but I don't really consider that doom. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's. Yeah, it, it, we could go down a million and one rabbit holes, but it's. I think it's it's part of the cyclical nature of it as well, isn't there? Is there's like what we identify as thrash metal, and then there's a thrash revival of the mid noughties and it. I think different tracks also reinvent themselves as, and that's where we sort of have the disconnect. Like there's revival new wave of British heavy metal bands, which are just regarded as like heavy metal. And it, it, again, it just gets a bit messy. Anyway, let's talk about, let's talk about your old bosses. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to try not to tread too much on Meat Meat's toes. Uh, I'm not going to try and 
um because that because it's a great podcast anyway so i should direct people to ryan's uh you're on the oh yeah i had a great time uh, doing the interview with ryan very cool guy yeah he's he's absolutely relentless in his schedule and getting stuff out i have nothing but respect for him uh so you're joining toxic 87 aren't you uh yeah actually i think it was 86 86 Mm. is when i came in there right um i mean early part of 87 yeah, they had had uh, they put out a demo, mm-hmm. and um, with a different drummer, and at a point like, you know, Toxic when they started out were kind of like, you know, like more of an '80s metal band, you know, like kind of like Rad and Motley Crue, yeah. and they kind of progressive got like thrashier, and then they got a point where like this drummer, he, he you know, he couldn't really do fast double bass, mm-hmm. he just wasn't that kind of drummer, so that's when I came in, right? And okay, up, and one one of the one of the funny stories of the earlier times is when there were two women from Roadrunner who like heard the demo and they like they liked the toxic demo, but because being women, they also thought they were like you know good looking hunky guys, and that included this drummer, you know. But like when the record came around, that guy was out, and they were stuck with me. And, and <laughs> <laughs> but what can you do? Yeah. The two, the two women at. Um, I was going to ask who were you dealing with at Roadrunner, but those two women must have been, um, shit. Uh, Holly Lane, exactly. Holly Lane. I can't remember the other woman's name, but yeah, Holly was the really the catalyst. She, you know, such an awesome person, and it's really sad she just uh, passed away recently. You know, about like last ten years, I'd like reconnect her on, online, and you know, just such a great person. And she went on to do great things like at uh, Mechanic Records, like getting Voivod onto like a major label. You know, she really knew her stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. They were really, you know, the callous behind it. But that kind of worked against us in a way, because by the time World Circus was recorded and time to release, she had left Roadrunner. Mm-hmm. And there was no one at Roadrunner who was really a toxic fan. Right. So, no, not, so he started because... At that time, it is a skeleton crew because they opened the office in late 86. Yeah. Um, and I think it opens with just Holly Lane and Steve Ricardo. Um, and Steve doesn't last long either. I think he's there for about 10 months. And then you see the Doug Keos and the Monty Connors coming in. Exactly. Yeah. We mostly dealt with like, you know, uh, Doug and Monty. Right. Okay. But no one was buying your corner in the same way that Holly was, which was, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, you know, like Monty sort of has taste like me, you know, he loved bands like Voivod and Artillery and, you know, heavier stuff. And at that time, like Toxic just seemed sort of lightweight, I think probably to him at that time. It just like mm. didn't have that same edge. It didn't have the heavy vocals. And that was something that were, was brought up to us repeatedly at Roadrunner, including Case. It was like, you know, you really need a singer, you know, like Testaments or Metallica were like, well, you know, we're our own thing. This is, mm. you know, this is it. And, you know, that that worked against us in terms of the people at the label because they felt that was just like, you know, Roadrunner was sort of like into heavier stuff at the time. And then you also had uh, John Hawker ran um, Hawker Records. And um, he was... Bellow, yeah. Um, Bellow, I'm sorry. Right. Cool. And um, he was more of a hardcore guy. And, you know, so like I got along with all these people, but they were just not really fans of the band. So... We didn't get a whole lot of support initially. What was the European experience like? Because I, I, I remember seeing some Dynamo footage and it was absolutely fucking bonkers. And Metal Mike and Andre 
I can't pronounce his last name. Um, yeah, Andre Berhusen, I think is yes, how you I, say it. Well done, yes. Yes, I need, I'm going to take that as a soundbite and just keep it playing in my head. Yeah, so they get some special thanks on the record, but they're like champions of, of certain bands. So is, was the European experience different? Oh, good, completely. You know, I think World Circus hadn't been, I don't think it happened more than like maybe three months. And then we got that offer from Andre to come over and play. And we were just blown away. You know, there's like 30,000 people chanting toxic. Whereas like, you know, in New York, we could, you know, we'd be lucky we'd get like 200 people to a show. So, mm. you know, especially like Holland, like the Dutch metal scene, those guys were just so on point. You know, they, they didn't, what I really respect about them is like, especially like say other parts of the world, they'll kind of like look to America and they'll say, okay, well, they like Metallica, so that must be the band to follow. But like in Holland, they follow like who they like, you know, they follow their own scene, which is just amazing, you know. Mm. And I have so much love for like the scene there and the people like besides touring there a couple of times, I've been with Toxic and Blood Farmers. I've gone on vacation there, you know, like six or eight times because it's, <laughs> you know, the people are so cool, legal weed, you know, <laughs> it's close to close thing to paradise that I've seen. Yeah, man, it's 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 a different world, and I think there's a few instances where this happens. Um, Doggy Dogger are the other big example of bands that weren't necessarily breaking over the United States, but for some reason were just really well received over in Europe. Yep. But the I think the way the road to manage its territories is you have to prioritize the home territories because flying you out to Europe every week or a few months for a tour might not have been too viable, which is a shame, really, because if you'd have been signed in Holland, maybe it would be a different story. You might have got the backing you needed. Oh, for sure. And that was the thing, you know, like when we got that offer, you know, we asked Roadrunner, it's like, hey, can we get some tour support? But like, no, don't think so. You know, take it out of your money. So like, you know, we got to go to Europe a couple of times, but because we had no support, we basically just like break even, you know. Yeah. Thanks, Roadrunner. <laughs> so when you're recording World Circus, they put down in Morris Sound. Now yeah. I'm hoping for a drummer's perspective on this one because I'm trying to unlock the potential, understand the potential of, of Morris Sound at the time. So far I've got Jim Morris, Tom Morris and Scott Burns. They're three dudes that give a fuck about the sound. And exactly. when we come in with what was regarded as not serious music, it was fringe music and no one could take it very seriously. They went, nah, fuck that, they're paying us so we're going to do the job right. What is does that ring true? Is there a particular thing that fascinated you about Morrison when he went in that was different from perhaps any other experiences you may have had? Well, you know, at the time, like a lot of bands were going to Pyramid Sound in Ithaca, New York, like Anthrax, Overkill, I think Testament went there too. And it was like a very specific sound to that. And we had heard some stuff from like, I'm not really a fan of the band like Crimson Glory, but I thought that album transit had a great mix. Yeah. You know, and we could kind of hear our sound sort of being filtered through that. And, you know, we thought it was great. And plus, you know, Florida was like for metal, you know, like I had been a friend of uh, Chuck from death since like 85. Wow. Very cool guy. So, you know, they, he was there. He came out a couple times to hang out. Oh, wow. And we met all the guys from like Nasty Savage who, uh, you know, one of my favorite bands at the mm -hmm. time. So, and like my Morbid Angel also was recording there. So like, it was a real hotbed for, for metal. Yeah. And uh, Scott Burns was, you know, very tuned into the scene, man. You know, great guy, great. You know, he was an engineer at the time. 
but he mm -hmm. went on to be a great producer. And uh, and Jim Morris just like could not have been like more supportive and more like dialed in and understanding with like what we were. And I'll give you a cool story though. He actually came up to New York for some pre-production to hear our stuff. And uh, we got a pizza from this place like that we always used. And we always got like hot peppers on there. But, you know, like the actual like sliced hot peppers. And the guy who made the peppers, that the pizza that night just took, I don't know if you had to see a thing. There's those burning hot flakes. Yes. Yeah. He just like put that all over the pizza. We're like, and like Tom Morris had like an ulcer and he had to go to the hospital because the pizza was so fucking brutal. <laughs> it felt so bad. We're like, dude, we're so sorry. <laughs> so that's how we started off with that. <laughs> Tom was interesting. I got. I had an email interview with him, and ju he's just so fucking humble. Not one of those three guys would ever like take the responsibility of saying, "Oh yeah, we knew what we were doing with death metal. We knew oh, what yeah. we were doing with thrash metal." They we were. Just, they were just a matter of, "Oh, we were just in the room at the time." There was yeah, nothing special. Consummate, consummate pros, so yeah. good, you know, and great to work with, and you know, dealing with like young kids like us who, like, you know, we didn't have a fucking clue, you know. Mm. It must have been a breath of fresh air for them as well, dealing with high vocals instead of guttural vocals. I, I think that that's definitely something that, that Tom really liked. You know, that the music, you know, we tried to be the best musicians we could. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 again, it's just it's so weirdly diverse. It's weirdly diverse, but weirdly also, it's so, it's just so fucking fringe. And yeah, it's just a hard nut to crack when you just got three dudes who are just so fucking nice. <laughs> so, how did you end up getting um, Ed Repka for the for the design of the artwork? And were you on board with your designing background and interest? Well, you know, at the time, again, you know, like I'm a big time horror fan, and actually, like a cool thing of note, I don't know, maybe in England wasn't a big thing. In the '70s, there were these magazines called Creepy and Eerie, and they were like. Not like, you know, it was more a magazine than comics. So it was like a little bit more adult okay. orientated. And like, I lived for that stuff as a kid. It was this artist, uh, Bernie Wrightson. Like obituary ended up using some of his artwork. You've seen it on some other metal. And like, that was the guy I really wanted him to do our cover. And I actually did manage to track him down. And he was, you know, he was just too big. You know, he was like, I'm not doing any original arts. Like you can come to my house and pick something out if you like. You know, but we're like, oh, so that was a little disappointing. And then uh, someone at Roadrunner showed us uh, the cover that Ed Rep had made for the Circle Jerks. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like the punk and he's carving out like huge like Roman mm -hmm. numerals. We're like, that's dope. And so we, <laughs> you know, we put ourselves in the hands of Ed Repka and he just killed like both album covers just like were amazing. I think they couldn't have been better. Yeah, so it's, it's great to work with him. It's again, just speaks to that. Aesthetic, that horror aesthetic, aesthetic I like the fucking heavy metal parking lot sort of weird almost cartoony but not quite cartoony it's yeah it's, a little cartoony yeah yeah it's uh I think he also did another municipal waste I think he did hazardous mutation by municipal waste and I fucking love that one <laughs> but yeah quick Ed Repka thing so he did uh you know he handed in the painting for you know World Circus went into the art department and someone in the art department dropped a lit cigarette on that painting. So if you look on the left side, there's a black smudge. Like it almost looks like it's kind of like part of the background, but it's literally a burn on the painting. And they were too fucking lazy 
to just take a little bit of green and fix it. That's that was the Roadrunner Arts Park. Oh, so this is it? just the left of the. Uh, <laughs> okay. you know, bad enough screen. to be so lax to drop a lit cigarette, but then say, "Ah, we don't need to fix this. Fuck these guys, man. Toxic. Ah, they're going nowhere." <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it yeah. Did the uh, Roadrunner ever get involved in the um, in the production of the album itself, other than just pointing at Rara Sound and saying, "Off you go, boys." Not that I remember. No, I remember, you know, lots of complaints when they heard the album, you know, but uh, no, I don't think they really, I didn't, there wasn't any back and forth that I was aware of between mm. like, Marsan and Pro Runner. Sometimes they do it and sometimes they don't. It's an interesting dynamic. I think it depends where it's, where they are with the artist at the time, I think. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I know there's, they made a couple of executive decisions that pissed bands off. I think uh, Consuming Impulse by Pestilence, mm -hmm. Like the band had a totally different piece of artwork set, which I've seen, which like isn't like amazing, but I think it's kind of messed up. Like especially like one of your early albums, like no, we're not using that artwork that you like. Wait, this is your album cover. That's 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 a bitter pill. But uh, but I but I like that cover. I like the cover of Consuming Impulse. That's quite it's subtle as well because it's such a good piece of artwork. And now that you've pointed it out, <laughs> it's clear as a bell. <laughs> I mean, like I just, you know, you know, accidents happen, but to not even and it would have been such an easy fix, you know, just a little piece of green, never see it again. But nope, they you know, they had other things to work on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you could even imagine if he'd um, done it on the right hand side as well. They could have argued that maybe the guy's like the dude with the cigar in his mouth, maybe he had a he dropped it on his suit or something, but Bad luck, man. Fuck. <laughs> and, you know, like a lot of the people in Ed, like the, like the guy on the cover of World Circus and also like the dad on the cover of Think This, they look just like Ed Repka. That's what Ed Repka looks like. Right. Like his hair is like, you know, parted exactly like that. <laughs> Very clean cut. Super cool guy. I've run into Ed at like a couple of like uh, horror conventions and shows. Awesome. Super cool guy. Yeah. No, like <laughs> Hilltop Pizza. Is that yeah. the attending pizza place? That was the place. That was our, we always went to Hilltop Pizza. They were dope. We loved it. I don't know who was on board and made that fucked up pie that put Tom in the hospital. <laughs> Otherwise, they were awesome. <laughs> hey, on, they get to, they're the first thanks that they get across both albums. So, you know, they must have, the card and too much wrong if uh, they get top. Oh, oh, like, you know, there were two toxic fans who, like, they were so into band. I, I don't know where exactly they were from, not that far away, but they actually, like, they found Hilltop Pizza, they went there, and then somehow, like, found us. We're like, wow, that's cool, man. That Those are real fans. You're tracking down our pizza. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So, World Circus comes out. I presume you do. Yeah, how often are you on the road? And I'm guessing this is off your own back, and off road runners back. Right. Um, yeah, you know, ev everything was, you know, just done ourselves. Like, we... You know, we played in New York City and where we were, we're about like an hour north of New York City. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, we, it was, it was cool because the area there, like they were really proud that like someone from like Westchester County, we were actually like had an album out that was like at the mall. And we played this place, uh, this theater called the Paramounts, which mm -hmm. was you know, like a really nice big theater. And we packed it. And the, the owners of this, this theater were just appalled that, like, a band like us was playing there. You know, this was like an art house cinema. And, man, they were not happy. But, uh, you know, I think we made them a lot of money. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we mostly just played locally in New York. 
And then, you know, and then we got to do those awesome tours in Europe, you know, which mm. were just amazing. Amazing. Like it was, it was pretty, it, to play the Dynamo open air was like terrifying so yeah. to come out on that stage. Like I had to pretend that like those weren't people. It was just like, like some kind of landscape. Cause man, that, that was fucking scary. <laughs> yeah. I was um, flicking through cause it was released as a DVD, wasn't it? Yeah, and yeah. For the first reunion, um, well, 2007, 2008 or something like that. But some of the sets, if not all of it, is on YouTube. So I was combing through that. And um, the Symptom of the Universe cover was dope. Fucking love oh, that. Oh, did you like that? Yeah, man. Yeah. Awesome. It's awesome. fast without being too punky. You know what I mean? Because a lot of, when, whenever you speed up Sabbath, it sometimes belongs in like a, like a weird sort of like sloppy punk aesthetic, usually on like a punk cover album or something like that. But it's tight as fuck. And oh, thanks. Yeah, like, yeah. The covers that we did, and I mean, you know, we, we did a couple, like, especially like when we first toured for World Circus, like crowds in Europe, they want a 90-minute set. And we, we didn't have 90 minutes worth of material. <laughs> so we're like, okay, we're going to play some Kiss and some Judas Priest. And uh, I listen back to those covers now, especially like we used to do Exciter by Judas Priest. Mm. And we did it so fucking fast, man. I mean, like, you hear our singer, like, struggle to keep up with the vocals because it's just, the tempo was insane. And I remember Josh Evans like, why did we do that? Is that your fault? I was like, yeah, it's probably my fault. I'm yeah. drunk, so tempo. <laughs> it's all like, I, I'm, I'm good friends with uh, Joe Cangliosi. He was the drummer for Whiplash. Yeah. And his outlook is like, the tempo is what I fucking say it is. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> It's Todd rules. No one else fucking rules. Hey, you know, I'm the one counting off the song, so that's it. I need to track down the dis the, the displeased records re-release because that has um some of the demos and it has a, a couple of covers on it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, yeah, that's got a couple like you know like rare live stuff and like all the uh, all the un unreleased stuff actually came from me. I still had tapes of some stuff, and before we uh, before we recorded, think this when Mike was still in the band, we made some demos. And fortunately, I had a few of those left. So it's great that those got to survive. And Displeased and also Metal Mind did really nice re-releases of those. They didn't fix the cover on World Circus, but they sounded good. At what point, though, does that just fall into legend and it needs to stay as it is? It, it's true. I mean, you look at, like, I don't know, you ever see the cover of, like, Terror Squad by Artillery? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, like, one of the worst pieces of art ever, but it's married to that you know, music and, you know, I'm cool with it. Yeah. Um, the the follow-up by Inheritance as well is an, is a, is an interesting one, the one where the, the mirrors, where it all goes around. Yeah, you know, Monty Connor does these great posts, like, you know, like album covers and the concept and what happened. And he made a good point, though, like, that was, like, by Inheritance was a great concept, but the artist, he didn't quite nail it. Mm. You know, it was, it was good, but it, it could have been better. But I'll say, like, Artillery, like those first three albums, to me, like that is like as good as thrash metal gets. I think it's like better than anything yeah. Metallica did. I mean, like, especially um, Terror Squad. Listen to the songs like At War With Science. Before the vocals even come in, there's more great riffs in that than like any, like all of Metallica's catalog combined. You know, even like, obviously you can tell they were inspired by Metallica, but for me, I thought they were like way better. I was... um Speaking with Monty about uh, Comaniac on Bio oh, Inheritance. Yeah. And the demo version of that is just a little bit, the guitars are a little bit chunkier, a little bit chunkier. You, you get a completely different energy from it as well. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's, 
it's something about that European thrash vibe where sometimes it does do better than the Bay Area. Well, you know, that was a case where Roadrunner really did get involved with the production. Monte Connor actually went to Denmark, you know, and when I first heard it, I was like, man, this mix is like too clean. It's like, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's a lot tamer than mm. Terrace Watt, but like it's really grown on me over the years. And now I like it as much as those other ones. It's the strength of the song as well. But I, I recommend if anyone's like wanting to be a tourist in album art, they should just jump on Monte Connor's Facebook. Yeah. I mean, he has just, you know, he, he should do a book, you know, he does such great, reveals and stories yeah yeah that the thing i didn't know is if you're looking at like i don't really do facebook i think it's, it's lame as fuck but it, if yeah that's his big platform so if you look at his profile if you go into the top right into the three buttons and type in or no, find search profile because it's so extensive is is his catalog of of art which he's you know pulled up information on then type in your favorite band and there'll be like six posts on it i'm yeah. saying that because scrolling down is too much effort because I was trying to fin- find information on the great car and I had to go like down three years to get it. <laughs> and then it, I found out, Oh, I could have just fucking searched it. And well, you know, I played with cat. Oh, no fucking way. What yeah, era? Like half, half of, um, Beethoven on speed is me on drums. Fuck off. You are joking. Nope. Why half? Uh, okay. This is a pretty cool story. Um, like Monty called me up. He's like, Hey, cat needs a drummer. Are you interested? And I was like, that would be a, very hard no and um <laughs> hard no and uh he's like oh well you know she'll pay i was like really i was like oh never actually got paid for like playing music i was like how much and we worked something i was like okay i'm in and it was so uncomfortable because she had fired that her first drummer halfway through that record mm-hmm. and i got and when i got to he was still there and i was like oh man i was like oh, i was like this is awkward as fuck and uh but he was like he was like so psyched to get out of there he was like cool no problem man good luck <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the like, was. i know lots of people you know cat is she's a maniac she's insane but she was always super cool to me and you know always you know because like i'm not going to get you know dissed by cat i'm not going to stick around but she was uh you know i have respect for her you know speed wise you know, mm. she, she had it big time. Yeah. yeah. And we at, at the place in New York City where we go to practice, uh, you know, we do like the biggest, most expensive room. And she run her rig through the PA. And like in these speakers, there were like tubes that would glow like as a warning if you're playing too loud. And they were like on all the time. It was so fucking loud. Like other bands would come and it's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> it was nuts, man. The, the, play, the studio hate us. They're like, She's like, if you blow up this PA, man, you bought it. <laughs> so, dude, you're, you're a, um, you're a roadrunner two timer. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's crazy. That's, I did a, um, I did a mini documentary on cap just like five minutes, no budget, just trying to string things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and just going through the whole sort of, I'm going to call it the mythos. Cause not only is she the real fucking deal, right? She's dead serious. Yeah, it's not an act. It's absolutely not an act. But also, yeah. it looks like it was pushed in the right way in certain ways as well, because she ended up on TV. She ended up on... Shit, what's the, what's the, what's the woman's name? Oh, yeah, it was a Morton Downey show. 
One, it was Martin Downey. There was another one. There was a talk show. It was a lady talk show. She had a little plastic. Joan Rivers, Christ. I can't believe it. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know she did Joan Rivers. Yeah, dude. I'll send a link after this. It's 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 dope. It, it's fucking great. But um, yeah, the Martin Downey thing is so interesting because honestly, Martin Downey is like, he, he was a prick. And he was just a prick to oh, his yeah. guest. And, and then Coward's so yeah, and she's like, you're just intimidated by the fact that I'm a woman and I'm empowered and you hide by, by, behind your cigarettes. And she was completely fucking right, it turns out. so I, I love how she was like, more suck my dick. She's like, <laughs> I bet you have one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Go on back to, about catfish. But she's still fucking going, like, oh, yeah? strong. Like, Because I was, I was tossing up between, like, does she have a, a day job and there's this, like, the persona? Is this, like, the weekend thing? And after a bit of digging, I was like, well, like I say a bit of digging, it was Tom Von Doom, who was the bass player, who was just like, no. She does this, like, this is it. This has been it for the last nearly 40 fucking years. Oh, yeah. Her, her family's, like, got some money. That's why, like, you know, they were able to, like, pay me to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. How did your relationship with the cat end, then? Are you about to tell me that you've been drumming with her for the last 30 years? <laughs> no. No, she actually hit me up maybe, like, I don't know, eight, ten years ago. I was like, you want to do another record? I was like, No. <laughs> um, but that, yeah, things I you know I forget what changed me that like that I didn't want to do it. But yeah, everything was amicable, and actually, the guy who replaced me was my longtime friend Jason Bittner, who's mm. who's the drummer for Shadows Fall, now wow. the drummer for Overkill. So he put in <laughs> time in the cat boot camp too. <laughs> wow. and he's a tough guy. That's why he was able to survive that gig. <laughs> That's insane. I had no idea that you played with the cat. That's fucking insanity. Yeah, at so, the time, my my name was intentionally left off of that record. Yeah. Even on Discogs, it, it didn't say anything. It just said Monty producer, John Mathias producer, great cat producer, and that's it. But hey, yo. Hey, you got paid. Yeah. They got paid, so it's all good. It was it definitely worked for my stamina, man. After playing the cat, I could you know I could play pretty fucking fast and a long time. <laughs> so moving out of World Circus, uh, and think this, um, how did the label take to to Mike leaving the band? Why did he leave the band? Or is that, is that well recorded and boring? Uh, and, no, I mean um, with uh, with Mike. Mike was from uh, like a pretty distant part of New Jersey from us. It was a mm. really long drive. So at a point, you know, I asked my parents, I was like, hey, you know, can Mike, Mike come and like, you know, stay at the house for a minute? So he was living in my basement for a while, mm -hmm. which is, you know, not not the greatest accommodations. But, you know, we all got along really well. And I think at a point, you know, like things were not easy for us at all. Like, you know, like Roadrunner was not too supportive. You know, they, things were it, things were definitely tough for the band. And I think Mike, I was like, ah, it's like, I think I want to do, you know, something different with my life. And we all like personally, like we love Mike and as a singer too, you know, like mm -hmm. personally, like I'm not a huge fan of like higher pitch vocals. Like I love like Rob Halford and stuff, but like I hate stuff like Queensryche, Fate's Warning. I'm mm -hmm. not a fan, but I was like Mike, Mike's vocals were hard, but they were intense. You know, those were like real screams. <laughs> so, you know, I was, I was behind that. And so, uh, you know, and Roadrunner really, really did not like Mike. So they were like, okay, cool. You're going to get another vocalist. That's great. Get someone who sounds like Chuck Billy, you know, and maybe we'll support you. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was, I was behind this to a degree and I was kind of disappointed that like, 
the guy we chose was like a guy like I personally did not like at all. And, um, you know, it just, I know when his name came up, I was like, no, no, another hard no. And Josh basically had him sing the same way. And I was like, oh, it's like we just traded, you know, we're, we're in the same style, but like a guy who's like much less pleasant to be with. And, um, you know, and I, I was not, I was not happy. I mean, like in the studio, I think Charlie did pretty well, but mm-hmm. he never held up live. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was a bummer. That, that was really something to put like a big fracture in the bands. Right. Even if the label was happy, if things aren't happy on the home front, that's where oh, it's well, going to start. they weren't because they were hoping we were going to get a heavier vocalist and we didn't. We just like went on. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, they were not happy at all. Yeah. Yeah. They're happy with the opportunity and the vacancy where they weren't happy, obviously, that we're, you effectively, well, Josh effectively copy and pasted the uh, the dynamic. Yeah. Back into the band. So, crazy. The Roadrunner was even less pleased with us. <laughs> <laughs> but they send you tomorrow, Sam, for the second album. Yeah, uh, you know, which was great, you know, working with them. We had a great time. Was there a lightning storm or something? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I actually saw it coming because, you know, my tracks were done and I was, you know, watching a movie in the lounge. And I see like this cloud about like the size of a car and it's only about like 15 feet off the ground. I was like, what the hell is that? And it comes closer and I see it like hit like the metal, like tracking outside the door and all the lights went out and all you could smell was like that burnt electronics. And we were like, oh man. I mean, that was like the most upset I ever saw Tom Morris. Like he really thought that like shit was, you know, under, was devastated. But fortunately, like it was just some superficial damage. Right. Can we explore that the is- possibility that Tom Morris is cursed when, when he crosses paths with you? I think everyone was cursed uh, to cross our paths with uh, Toxic. We were like literally like, what's what's that song? Like born under a bad sign, man. <laughs> Had shit luck all the time. <laughs> Fuck me. Um, that's not really true because we work with great, like, great people like Scott Burns and Tom Morris and, you know. Yeah, Tom Morris just like, his, his health insurance kicks in. Whenever, oh, he, uh, yeah. <laughs> whenever he speaks cover to that. you guys. <laughs> cover that ulcer. <laughs> yeah. So how did uh, the label receive Think This? I uh, didn't like it at all. Fuck. Fuck, it was just fucking B after B. Yeah. How does the, so how, I take it the relationship with Roadrunner ends through the, them not picking up the second option? Oh, well, no. Like, after, um, you know... By the time we got in for World Circus, there were definitely like some tensions that were like not getting any better. I was actually kind of thankful. Like after my drums were done, Chuck from Death, you know, came actually picked me up, and I stayed with him for the rest of the time because the oh, things were a little, you know, a little tense. Probably all my fault, you know. I'm an asshole. <laughs> but uh, and then so then we went to Europe a second time, mm. and we had some great shows. But, like, when you're having some tensions in the band, going on tour is, like, the worst possible thing you could do. And you're in a submarine with these guys, and you just hate everyone so much. (laughs) And by the time we got back, we're like, okay, I don't think, you know, this is not going to continue. Yeah. Fair enough. It's still some, uh, presumably, some good memories to share or to keep even. Big time. That's why why we're here, isn't it? It was really, you know, 
especially like get, getting to go to Europe and, you know, you know, I, I have lifelong friends there. Like there are people who worked, you know, in our sound crew or something who are still friends of mine that I talk to all the time. So mm-hmm. I had a lot of great, you know, experiences and I'm really proud of the music. You know, I think we really like we did what, what we personally wanted to do. And the Lord knows, like no one was saying it's like what you're doing is great. Keep doing that. I'm just like, don't you want to make some money? You know, this is not going to sell. And so it was cool, because especially like Josh and I were big fans of like 70s Prague. Like we love Yes and Jeff Tull and stuff yeah. like that. So we really wanted to bring that into Thrash, which at that point had not really you know been done. You had bands like Watchtower that were doing some crazy tech stuff. But like, you know, it didn't have like, the thing I liked about it, especially like Josh, there's lots of guitar players who could do sweeps and fast arpeggios and stuff, but they can't write a song or they mm. can't write a riff that'll crack your skull. And Josh could do both of that. You know, the guy was just so insanely talented. Like his lyrics were great. His concepts were awesome. But like most of all, he wrote like memorable songs. Mm. And I think, I think that's kind of why Toxic still, you know, has some traction. Definitely. Because, you know, there, there's a lot of hooks in that stuff. I was going to say, like, my recommended sort of track, if you want to just get a good vibe of, of where Toxic coming from, is World Circus. It's the title track. Just because that riff is like, in any sort of thrash context, it's like, okay, we're going 4 4, we're going chugga, chugga, chugga. But no, no, we're going big lick. Over eight, I say eight bars. It goes longer than it's meant to, but it still works. It still lands, and I yeah. think that demonstrates like, all oh, right, we're not we're not dealing with a conventional thrash, thrash aesthetic here. And that was like kind of what made Toxic great is we were we were all into like different stuff. I guess like me and Josh were the most into metal. Like you know we like you know we like bands like Voivod and English Dogs and. Um, a little bit more, like I said, more fringe stuff, more underground. Mm-hmm. But the other guys, they were, you know, much more like, you know, about like like Brian, amazing bass player, but like Iron Maiden was about as heavy as, you know, he went into there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Mike had some great taste too. Like, but like we all, like me, Mike, Josh, were massive Kiss fans. So like we really bonded on that. Um, but like everyone had, you know, something really different to bring to that band. And like when it, you know, when it came together, it was an awesome mix. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it was what undid us. Cause by the time we got to think this, you know, those guys were like not so into metal anymore. And, you know, yeah. we're kind of moving into more jazz and stuff like that, which people do, you know, you grow mm-hmm. up, you change and your tastes change. So like by, by that time we were like, you know, we're not agreeing on anything. We can't agree on the time of day. And so. <laughs> Would you have done anything differently if you had the chance? Because um, it seems like, it seems like you've landed in a lot of bad circumstance with, with the toxic run, even though the toxic run is memorable and you churned out of a lot of good metal and the rest of the world um, benefited from it. It seemed, it seemed like you got, I'm not going to say a bad deal. It just seems like with Holly not being there, there wasn't, someone championing the corner. So the dialogue wasn't quite as uh, fluid as it could have been. So it's difficult to me, for me to ask you, like, would you do anything differently? Because it seemed like a lot of these circumstances were out of your control. And presumably a lot of people are rotoring because if there's no one championing the corner, it's more of a toxic thing. The toxic is a thing that happened to their day to day job, as opposed to what it would have been with Holly. 
Uh, right. Yeah. You know, it, it would have been great to know if, if she had stuck around and like if that would have like got us, you know, to, you know, another level. But I think like at that time, you just didn't like, you know, bands like Dream Theater and stuff like that have very much established, you know, a prog and heavy thrash. But that just didn't really exist at the time. So we we didn't fit in with people who are fans of, like Slayer and stuff. We weren't that brutal. And but then we were too heavy for people who were like fans of Queensryche or, you know, Crimson Glory. Yeah. So like we were just kind of stuck. And I think, you know, we we definitely I mean, we worked hard, you know, when we tried to make all the best decisions we could. Um, probably like the two things I do differently now, like like I hated that ballad. I think this there's the defense that there was like a, a really bad scene in the studio. It's like I'm not doing a ballad. Fuck this. And, and I hate that Led Zeppelin cover out on the tiles. Like, we did so many dope covers. We could have done Exciter. Like, he's a woman, she's a man. Like, I hate Led Zeppelin, man. <laughs> Talk about, like, terrible vocals. Robert Plant, man. Uh, it's not, not even. You know, I, I actually heard, um, it must have been, like, 10 years ago. I saw, like, a footage of Steven Tyler in a club doing a whole lot of love. And it was like, fucking hell, Steven Tyler, he must have been 70 then, or at least, like, late 60s then. And it sounded better than Robert Plant was in his twenties. It's like this is. Int- I don't hate Robert Plant as a singer. I think like a lot of his live stuff, his studio stuff, feels like a fluke when you hear him live. Um, but it was just interesting to see like a delivery that was so deliberately different from Steven Tyler like ten years ago, especially for like a sixty-five, seventy-year-old man. But- yeah, I mean, I wouldn't not. I would, I'd never say like guys in Zeppelin are not talented. I mean, John Bonham's an amazing drummer. You know. And, and playing against, he's got a great voice, but all the moaning and groaning, I hate his style. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> uh, it's just more lo- too loosey-goosey. Is that what you think? Uh, you know, I don't know. I Take like Ozzy, not a guy who has a big range. You know, no one would technically consider him a great vocalist, but I'd rather hear that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just personally, I'm trying to think like anyone who's like in that style, like, I liked some of the early Queens Rake. I hated everything after that. So I'm trying to think like who else? Well, or you take a guy like Ian Gillen, you know, mm. like I like those vocals, you know, because there's some power behind, you know, the yeah, high vocal. Yeah. That guy was a powerhouse, you know. So I wouldn't say like I'm totally opposed to that style. I just don't like a you know, a lot of that genre. Yeah. It felt I, yeah, I feel like it's it saw like the rock plants more flair than substance i guess my it could be where you're coming from but yeah i can't get it's it's all like you know it's where where you're coming from personally like you know like like i don't like positive stuff i don't like happy stuff so like you know sabbath you know like sabbath is music for like miserable stoner loners you know and like <laughs> i fit into that category that's me i don't you know i wasn't hooking up with like chicks all the time like or maybe i would like robert plant because you know i i could relate to feeling that way getting laid with hot <laughs> chicks all the time maybe you know maybe i would like relate to that but i don't maybe yeah yeah so, <laughs> well, that's all that's where I'm, well, that's all I've got for like questions about Roadrunner, but um, I, I just wanted to like give an opportunity if you've got any other stories or anything that I've completely missed or anything like that before I hit you with a dumb question, which I haven't asked anyone for a while. Oh, man. They're, they're really, uh, they're, there's some really good ones. Um, when we toured with uh, King Diamond, mm. 
we had like some, some really, really good times. I tell you, like that guy, Angela Roke, and Snowy Shaw are like three of the like the nicest, most supportive, classy guys like ever, ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes, you know, we would uh, end up at the same like truck stop when we're on the road. And most of the time, like if I saw that, I'd corner King Diamond. I'd ask him all these merciful fake questions. And he was like so nice and like, you know like putting up with all of that. I think at a point, like he understood that I like Merciful Fate much better than the <laughs> Diamond stuff. <laughs> but uh, there, there was, and you know, those guys like, they, they partied a little bit for the most part, you know, they were low key. And we yeah. were at this one truck stop and this guy came over, I guess he was sort of like, you know, like a pimp drug dealer hustler. Mm-hmm. And he came up to one of the guys that came down and was like, hey man, you guys need some coke? You need, need some weed? They were like, no, no, where, where are you? He's like, how about some girls? Want some girls? They're like, no, no, we're all right. And the guy like kind of sounds like, what kind of band are you? <laughs> King Diamond, bitch. And then like what, one of the funny things is when we got yelled at by King Diamond, we were in the hospital, in a hotel somewhere, and I don't know, we we're making noise in the hallway and like, you know, throwing each other into doors. And all of a sudden King opens the sword and his eyes were like so bloodshot. You could tell we just got him out of bed. He was like, guys, you've got to keep it down. I need to fucking sleep. We're like, well, okay. <laughs> One another satanic curse on us. We already were cursed enough. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that was dope. Yeah. Spe- speaking of curses, I'll lay on a question I haven't asked anyone in a while. I've, I seem to be forgetting it. Have you ever seen a ghost? Have I ever seen a ghost? No. Nothing that I would, like, you know, attribute to anything supernatural. I wish I had. You know, I'd like to see it, you know? Yeah, it seems uh, fitting, given your horror background, to, to revitalize that question. I've had, I've yeah. had a range of responses, ranging from uh, the flat nose to uh, Dave White from Heathen sending me a picture of the ghost that he captured um when he was in hawaii he like took a picture of, i think his wife took a picture of a cat that was like begging for food and then the picture comes through and it's just like a translucent foot and it's like wow. it's, it's not a trick of the camera it's not like not like someone was walking past it's unmistakably a foot just next to this cat and it's really weird and it's amazing you know i've heard that like hawaii is like one of the most haunted places on earth because I think there are, like, a ton of, like, mass graves there. And, you know, they built these luxury hotels on top of them. And they have a lot of, I think, choking ghosts. Like, where you wake up and someone's, like, you know, like, choking oh, right, your okay. away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck. Fuck. Well, apparently, when, once they sort of realize, oh, there's this thing on the, on the, the, the picture. Then the, obviously, the restaurant staff are going, oh, yeah, that's Brian the ghost. You know, he, he pops about every now and then or whatever, but. Yeah, that's that's been the most insane one. I've had some, yeah, some good stories. I need to compile them all, I think, and put them into one big video. Well, I think, like, ghosts are a very much a British thing, you know? You think about, like, the Tower of London and Anne Boleyn. And... Yeah, but dude, I live, like, literally next to Old York. I call it Old York when I speak to New Yorkers. And that's, okay. like, Roman town that got paved over by the Viking town, which got paved over by the industrial town. And then it's all sort of still there. And it's, like... Every you can't you can't walk down the road without being offered a ghost tour. It's a really incredible city, though. Oh yeah, I'd love to go. You know, there's some bands from there that I really like. I'm a big Paradise Lost fan. Oh Halifax, so that's my hometown. Oh I'm, sweet, but dude, that yeah. was awesome. Thanks for thanks for sharing. I know it wasn't like I know Roadrunner wasn't exactly amazing to you, but it is still like a it's still an important sort of tract in 
the the label's history, Thrasher's history, and all that good stuff. So it's worth going through the motions, right? Oh yeah, I mean, like despite all of that, you know, I mean, it was you know, it was an honor to be on the same label as Merciful Fade and Snow White and you know Realm. So many you know great bands that Roadrunner helped you know get to the people in. It's it's probably hard to imagine for younger people now, like how underground that stuff was, you know, you had to like take the train two hours to the city to get to some record store and then maybe find, you know, what's there. It was like, you know, there was like a high bar to pass. If you, you know, if you're a fan of underground, like metal or hardcore, you know, it's, it took some dedication. So like, I'm really proud that we were, in that wave, you know, and that people really did, you know, kind of work their way to find our music. And and all of like the new fans that have come around since the internet popped up, it's, you know, it's it's an honor to still be mentioned around bands like Dark Angel, who, you know, just like, they, bands like Artillery and stuff like that, they define my existence in, in high school, you know. It was just everything that I lived for. So it was a huge privilege to be part of that. Awesome, dude. Right, dude. All right. I'm going to let you go. Thanks so much. Good. Awesome meeting you, man. That was really fun. Yeah, all the best, Ted. Have a good one. All right. Cheers, my friend.